Hello everyone and welcome to the March 10th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, a partner with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today and let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal reinstated a malpractice case against a group of Southern California attorneys. Here's what happened in the case of Fopiano versus Leonard Stern. Chris Fopiano sued applicants' attorneys Leonard Stern and Stephen Berry for legal malpractice arising out of his workers' compensation case. He claimed they improperly waived his right to seek disability accommodations from his employer. The civil trial court sustained the attorney's demur without leave to amend on the grounds that the action was time-barred. Fopiano appealed, and the Court of Appeal reversed the dismissal and reinstated the malpractice case in the unpublished opinion. Fopiano suffered pulmonary injuries while working for Eastern Municipal Water District. He hired attorneys Stern and Barry in 2008 to represent him. Fopiano alleges they waived his right to seek reasonable accommodations for his disability in 2011 and claims he never discussed this with his attorneys. Fopiano accepted a settlement of nearly $70,000 and voluntarily retired. But soon thereafter, he filed a pre-complaint questionnaire with California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing to institute a disability discrimination complaint against the Water District. The employer responded that Fopiano waived his right to seek reasonable accommodations when he settled his workers' compensation case. Fopiano then sued his comp attorneys, alleging they committed malpractice by waiving his right to seek reasonable accommodations. The civil trial court sustained the demur to an amended complaint, finding that Fopiano's malpractice claim was barred by the one-year statute of limitations. The trial court reasoned that the DFEH pre-complaint questionnaire demonstrated that he knew of his attorney's malpractice more than one year before he filed his lawsuit. But the Court of Appeal reversed and reinstated his claim. The appeals court found that the allegations in the second amended complaint did not show Fapiano's complaint was time-barred. He alleged Stern erroneously counseled him to retire and waive his right to seek accommodations for his disability. DFEH allegedly informed Fapiano in October 2011 of this waiver. Fapiano filed his complaint less than a year later in May 2012. Assuming these allegations are true, the Court of Appeal concluded that Fapiano discovered the lawyer's wrongful conduct within the one-year time limitation. And a new WCAB panel decision says that provisions in SB 863 allow five extra days to strike a QME panel from, uh, QME from a QME panel. Here's what happened in the case of Razo versus Las Posas Country Club. Carlos Razo claimed he sustained a cumulative trauma injury to multiple body parts. After the employer denied the claim, a dispute arose over the panel QME selection process. The judge was asked to decide whether applicant timely exercised the right to strike a member of the QME panel and whether the pre- or post 
SB863 version of the comp law was applicable. The work comp judge found that applicant timely exercised his right to strike and applied former Labor Code Section 4062.2c. The work comp judge concluded that applicant had 10 days after assignment of the QME panel plus three working days to exercise his rights. In this case, he was timely. The WCAB panel, however, agreed with the work comp judge that applicant's strike was timely. However, it disagreed that former section 4062.2 applies. Instead, it applied section 4062.2 as amended by SB 863. The WCAB panel also held that Labor Code section 4062.2c allows a party 10 days from the administrative director's assignment of a QME panel plus five days for U.S. mail to strike a name from the QME panel. The panel was aware that in the 2007 case of Alvarado versus WCAB, the board panel found CCP section 1013 inapplicable to extend the time for a party to strike a physician's name from a QME panel. That code section is the one that gives you five extra days. But the panel said Alvarado case is distinguishable because it involved application of the former Labor Code section 4062.2, which gave the parties a right to strike a name from the panel within three working days of gaining the right to do so. The statute now provides that each party has 10 days from assignment of the panel and, as construed in this new case, an additional five calendar days for service of the assignment by U.S. mail. And now our fraud report. A federal investigation into kickbacks allegedly paid by Tenet Healthcare Corporation marks the latest fraud inquiry involving the Dallas-based hospital giant over the last decade. The company has a number of hospitals in California, including many in Southern California. Tenet has tried to reshape its image and operations since 2006, when it reached a $900 million settlement, one of the largest ever, with the U.S. Justice Department to resolve older fraud accusations. Now, the new investigation alleges that four tenant hospitals in Georgia and South Carolina made improper payments in return for patient referrals. These investigations were triggered by whistleblower lawsuits filed under the U.S. False Claims Act, leading federal authorities to intervene as plaintiffs. The FBI said that the hospitals paid kickbacks to clinics serving undocumented Hispanic women. Anti-kickback laws are designed to prevent financial incentives from interfering with caregivers' medical judgment. Tenant officials said that transactions with the clinics were proper and that they would vigorously defend against the FBI allegations. Federal authorities, however, used sharp language to stress the seriousness of the allegations. Tenet operates in 12 states, including several hospitals in California, such as Los Alamitos Medical Center, Placentia Linda Hospital, San Ramon Regional Medical Center, Sierra Vista Regional Medical Center in San Luis Obispo, Twin Cities Community Hospital in Templeton, and others. 
Tenant owned Memorial Medical Center of New Orleans in 2005 when 45 bodies were found after the Hurricane Katrina floods. The corporation paid $25 million to settle a suit that accused it of being ill-prepared for the disaster. Tenet denied wrongdoing, saying poor levies and government rescue efforts were to blame. Tenet agreed in August 2013 to pay $54 million to resolve government accusations that doctors at Redding Medical Center in Northern California conducted unnecessary heart procedures and operations on hundreds of patients. The settlement was the largest in a case involving what is known as medical necessity fraud. The scandal and subsequent referral uh, and federal investigation are described in the book Coronary, A True Story of Medicine Gone Awry by author Stephen Claydman. 44-year-old Elise Letitia Biggs of Lake Arrowhead was sentenced to 11 years in state prison for committing workers' compensation insurance fraud, tax fraud, and grand theft. And this was not her first offense. In 2010, Biggs was convicted of workers' compensation insurance fraud, tax fraud, and grand theft. At that time, she was placed on probation and ordered to serve a year in custody. After her custody time was completed and while on probation, Biggs, a bookkeeper, continued to steal from at least two of her clients. Biggs would take bank deposits from the victims that consisted of cash and checks on the way to the bank, would pocket the cash, and only deposit the checks. As a result, she was rearrested, her probation was revoked, and a new criminal case was filed. On January 17th this year, Biggs pleaded guilty to six new counts of grand theft and admitted a white-collar crime enhancement and admitted that she was in violation of her prior grant of probation. She also agreed at that time to serve 11 years in state prison and pay back the victims. When asked if she had anything she would like to tell the court or the victims at the sentencing hearing, Biggs stated that she did not. And now in regulatory news. Each year, the California Chamber of Commerce releases a list of job killer bills to identify legislation that they claim will decimate economic and job growth in California. The Chamber will track the identified bills throughout the rest of the legislative session and works to educate legislators about the serious consequences these bills may have on the state. A number of California Chamber of Commerce opposed job killer bills first identified back in 2013 on labor law topics appear to be dead this year after having been amended or missing legislative deadlines. SB 626 would have resulted in dramatic workers' compensation cost increases for employers. The bill was pulled from the January 15th hearing agenda for the Senate Labor and Industrial Relations Committee at the author's request, therefore missing the legislative deadline. SB 626 would have resulted in employers paying nearly $1 billion in benefit increases to injured workers without an expectation that the increases will be fully offset by system savings. The bill would have distorted the entire balance of the 2012 SB 863 
that provides injured workers with needed benefit increases, but supposedly offset these increased costs by closing certain loopholes and making the system operate more efficiently. Another bill, AB 1164, would have created a dangerous and unfair precedent in the wage and hour arena by allowing an employee who claims a wage violation to assert a lien on an employer's real or personal property or even a third party's real or personal property before any trial or administrative hearing had been held. AB 1164 was placed on the Assembly in active file, however, thereby missing the House deadline. SB 761 would have transformed the paid family leave program from a wage replacement program into a new protracted leave of absence by allowing an employee to file litigation. The bill has been amended to deal with a different subject and is therefore no longer on the job killer list. And now the chamber has started the job killer bills list for 2014. Thus far, there is nothing on the horizon of concern for California employers in 2014. The stagnation or removal of the holdover legislation from last year has cleared the deck for this year's fight. The Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation, also known as Cheswick, regularly examines the workers' compensation systems in California and makes recommendations to improve operations. The Commission conducts research, releases public reports, presents findings, and provides information to the legislature and executive branch of California government. And Cheswick has now published its 352-page 2013 annual report. Cheswick is again this year recommending the integration of workers' compensation medical care with general medical care insurance. The report notes that health costs have been rising more quickly than inflation and wages in California. These costs create financial challenges for employers, especially those in industries with already high workers' compensation costs. Furthermore, group health care and workers' compensation medical care are typically delivered through separate provider systems, resulting, according to the study, in unnecessary, duplicative, and contraindicated treatment and inefficient administration. Integrating workers' compensation medical care with the general medical care provided to patients by group health insurers would improve the quality and coordination of care, lower overall medical expenditures, reduce administrative costs, and derive other efficiencies in care, according to the report authors. Research also supports the contention that an integrated 24-hour care system could potentially provide medical cost savings as well as shorten the duration of disability for workers. The Cheswick study also determined that SB 863 has indeed resulted in some medical cost savings. In 2012, the WCIRB estimated an approximate $20,000 per claim reduction on spinal implant hardware uh, cases due to the SB863 provisions relating to duplicative reimbursement for spinal hardware. Preliminary data confirms savings of more than $15,000 per claim 
on spinal surgery cases in 2013. In 2012, the WCIRB estimated ambulatory surgical center fees would be reduced by approximately 25%. And now, preliminary data for 2013 services suggests a 26% reduction in ambulatory surgical center fees. And the commission focused attention now on high medical legal evaluation costs. The average number of psychiatric medical legal evaluations per claim in California have been on the increase. Psychiatric evaluations are nearly always billed under the ML-104 code that is the most expensive coding. The average cost of a psychiatric evaluation more than doubled from about $1,500 in 2002 to now about $3,700 in 2010. The Southern California region produces over 60% of all psychiatric evaluations in California and has the biggest impact on both the frequency and cost of medical legal evaluations statewide. In addition to psychiatric medical legal evaluations, the complexity of impairment rating under the AMA guides, new rules for apportionment, and the criteria for medical treatment decisions under the medical treatment utilization schedule are among the reasons cited for rising costs per medical legal exam. Thus, the report recommends further study of the QME evaluation system. And in other news, Travelers Insurance Company was the largest workers' compensation insurer in the nation last year, overtaking Liberty Mutual for the top spot. Travelers had more than $4 billion in direct written premium in 2013 workers' compensation, or roughly 8% of the national work comp market. Liberty Mutual had $3.6 billion in workers' compensation premiums last year, or roughly 6.97% of the market. Liberty Mutual had 8.69% market share the year before when Travelers was in second place. The next largest work comp insurers have remained largest, largely unchanged. Hartford Financial Services Group remained in third place. American International Group remained in fourth place. And Swiss-based Zurich Insurance Group stayed in fifth place. And there's more bad news about the California business climate beyond just high workers' compensation costs. Three days before the Oscars, a Los Angeles film think tank delivered some damning news to Tinseltown. Hollywood's status as the home of American film and television production is threatened because of places like New York that are offering better financial incentives to studios. The study released by the Milken Institute, an economic think tank, says California has lost tens of thousands of entertainment jobs to New York and other U.S. states in the past decade. Of the nine films nominated for the Best Picture at the Oscars, just one of the nine was filmed in California. Her, the science fiction romantic drama starring Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson, was made in California. It had a relatively low budget of $25 million. And experts say Hollywood is in a bad spiral, both in terms of jobs and productions leaving California. 
Thus, the industry repeats a call for an expanded California film and tax credit, an issue that is politically controversial. Proponents say it is vital to keep middle-class jobs and film production in the state. Opponents say wealthy Hollywood studios don't need another tax break and question whether further financial incentives will produce a net gain in jobs and revenue. The report said California lost about 16,000 film and TV industry jobs between 2004 and 2012. During the same period, New York State gained nearly 11,000 entertainment jobs. The loss of jobs was particularly troublesome because it represented the exodus of middle-class wage earners <clears throat> with high pay, an average of $98,500 per year per person. California has a tax credit program, but essentially only productions with budgets of $75 million or less qualify for the rebate of 20% to 25%. Proponents of legislation under consideration in California want the incentives to cover big-budget movies as well as television pilots and dramas. New York offers tax credits of between 30% and 35%, and allocates more money, $420 million annually, out of its budget to give incentives to film and television production there, or roughly four times what is awarded in California. Other states, such as Louisiana, Texas, and New Mexico, have also drawn jobs from production from California in recent years through tax credits. Film production in California hit its peak in 2004, when about 130 films were made, while 50 were filmed in New York. The key question for California is how much the state is willing to spend to preserve high-paying jobs and to give Californians who are still officially listed as working in the industry and residing in the state a chance to remain local. The issue has been examined by sources such as UCLA and the Los Angeles Economic Development Corporation, and questioned in turn by the California Legislative Analyst's Office. And with that, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news, podcasts, and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, a partner with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.